0: Hey, everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup tech and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. In today's episode, I sit down with Waleed Deeb, who is the CEO and co-founder of Adenda. Edenda is an insurtech founded by Walid and his brother Kareem in the United Arab Emirates. I've seen Waleed take his startup from a minimum viable product to become one of the fastest growing insurtech startups in the MENA region. Meanwhile, Walid is perhaps without exaggeration one of the most charismatic people I know. I've watched him pitch countless times in front of industry experts as well as investors. He's an extremely captivating presenter. I hope you'll agree with me whilst listening to him share his insights on presentation tips during this episode. Waleed will also share with you insights on how to prepare for a presentation, depending on the audience, how to approach media, and his experience growing Adenda as a founder under the age of 30 in a traditionally conservative insurance industry. And without further delay, let's jump straight to it. Hi, Waleed. How are you doing?
1: Hey Shireen, all, all good, all good. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you keeping up in a lobby in times of Corona?
1: I live in a building which has a lot of other startups living in it, and I work in an ecosystem which was also full of other startups. So there's kind of a community feel here despite uh, COVID-19.
0: So lots of pizza nights?
1: A lot of pizza nights, a lot of Super Smash Brothers on <laughs> Nintendo Switch. <laughs> so it's uh, it's pretty fun, to be honest with you.
0: Awesome. Wali, thank you very much for accepting to be on my podcast. I really appreciate it as a friend.
1: Well, it goes both ways. And for whoever's listening here, Shireen was not a peer at the beginning. She was a mentor. So I think this needs to be said.
0: We're delighted to have you. I was wondering you could actually start off by telling our listeners a little bit about the first time we met. So think of the interview day where you and your brother, who's your co-founder at Adenda, pitched what was back then just an idea, right? In front of a room full of seasoned insurance professionals. What was that like?
1: So it's, it's very important to note that I was not aware of how many people were going to be there. It was basically my, again, like you said, it was an idea. My brother flew in from from another country, from Qatar at the time, and we had just started then that we had a proof of concept. And we thought, listen, you're going to sit down with five people from XYZ Insurance and that's it. Shireen walks up, she opens the door, she's like, are you guys ready? And I said, well, yeah. And then when I see the door open up in the IFC, it's an auditorium with maybe 35 people and I had never presented to anybody in my life before, not even like beyond a classroom presentation. (laughs) So I was terrified. And Karim and I walked down there. We just were like, okay, listen, this is what we trained for. This is the right moment. This is make it or break it. Let's do it. And what very few people know is that our POC crashed on stage, but nobody noticed. And that was such an awesome, awesome feeling that I was saying, you know, as you can see, X, Y, Z is happening right now and people are nodding. And I think, okay, you know what? Just keep going. Go ahead. The end, the insurance companies were still engaged. They had a lot of questions to ask us. And that's the first tick box to make you feel that you do have a genuine value offering because you have a lot of self-doubt at the beginning as a founder. If, if you When you make something and you want to show it to people, you're such in such a vulnerable position. But then when so many people like it, you kind of get that confidence with time, I feel.
0: I remember that day after you guys walked out of stage, there were a lot of nods around the room. I think that whatever you had done, crash or otherwise, seemed to really impress experts in the industry, really. So, Walid, how does one handle nerves when, firstly, not only are you having a big presentation, but perhaps one of the first times you have a big presentation, and secondly, when you have a technical issue like your demo failing?
1: Yeah, so so that's such an awesome question because I've dug deep into why did I behave the way I did on stage and why did that work for the target audience at hand? If you tap into your persona, your actual genuine persona. So let's say you're actually a very serious person in in real life or in in any other situation. If you tap into that persona and present that persona on stage, you will succeed. I have since then presented in several conferences, spoken in seminars, presented to extremely high net worth individuals, investors, insurance companies. And that's only going to be the first time you fail. I have failed several times on stage where a demo didn't work or the screen cut out and didn't share, not because of me, but because of the confidence setting. And if you go back into your inner self, just play it very, very calmly and casually, that comes off as confidence and charm And again, I have tapped into that ever since then, all the way up until today, in every presentation I do.
0: Walid, I think you'd be very good at improv acting. Have you ever given that a try? So
1: (laughs) it's so funny you should say that. I used to be a part of the uh, uh, Courtyard Playhouse in Dubai, which is like an improv community there. I actually signed up for classes there, and I completely recommend it to anybody who's got stage fright because... If you are worried about being on stage in work, if you take part in, in, in improv theater in general, wherever you live, you'll find that you're going to be forced to be on stage and you're going to be forced to fail. The idea of improv is fail on stage as often as you can until it becomes such a normal, unimportant thing. And that is what gave me the power. So I was doing improv during Fintech Hive and then after, and and I think I would credit a lot of my behavior on stage to my improv, I don't want to say career, (laughs) to to my improv experience.
0: (laughs) Actually, it's very interesting you being such a good presenter has had some exposure to improv. Walid, with that, I'm wondering, how much emphasis do you put on the slides that you bring to a presentation versus your presentation demeanor as a presenter?
1: It depends on who I'm talking to. So, for example, when pitching in earlier times to investors... As part of certain accelerator programs or as part of certain investment programs as well, one comes to mind, which is the Amman Tech Fund, which today is my biggest investor, by the way. I was given four minutes to present the entire idea of Addenda to them to the IC, to the investor committee. Whereas in in comparison, if I would be presenting a 30-minute presentation, that's such a completely different environment. So I think the first thing is you really need to look at your target audience. How much time do they have? And you also need to have several presentations at the ready, which have a two-minute presentation or a five-minute presentation or a 30-minute presentation. And you want to compress or decompress these depending on your target audience. I think you should always present your idea as if your slides will fail on stage, i.e. that there will be a network error or some issue with your laptop or there's no connectivity. So you should still be able to bounce up straight from that, joke about it, and go ahead and present without slides. And that has happened to me maybe two or three times so far. And with COVID specifically, presenting to someone on Zoom, it's very big inconvenience, but I think it's super important to tap again into your capability to present potentially without slides. Slides should always be A secondary, nice to have element, but not the main part of your show. And I say show, again, looking back at, you know, (laughs) improv, basically.
0: On that note, so every year when I sit with our FinTech Accelerator cohort and help them prepare their pitches for our investor days. So I go through multiple iterations and I'll tell you the hardest type of founder to deal with, an ex-consultant, because they're used to delivering slides as Mm -hmm. deliverable documents.
1: That's actually something that I was discussing just today with another founder. The reality is, and specifically in the investor day that you mentioned, you're on stage, there were five startups before you, there's gonna be 15 startups after you, you have three or four minutes. Your slides are not an in-depth dive of your startup, your company structure, and what you actually do deeply. It's a picture that should be behind you. So you're on stage, you're presenting, and you have an inflection in your voice where next up comes this slide. They see an image, a visual that should, in five to 10 seconds, relate extremely quickly to what you're talking about. And... Hopefully it is just that, a visual with very little text. You can spread these lines of text anywhere you want, but basically you want to be as visually appealing as possible where you leave the target audience to connect the dots themselves between the slides and what you're saying.
0: Do you have content that varies based on your audience? Let's pick on prospect clients and investors on the other hand because they tend to be the two big buckets of personality types founders would need to present to?
1: So I'm going to go even a bit deeper than that. When we talk about clients, who am I pitching to? Who's the individual? So I'm a B2B startup. What I do is I look at, am I pitching to the chief technical officer or chief technology officer? So the IT person, am I pitching to the COO? Who's the guy who's caring about operations and how this will affect their ROI? Or am I looking at the CEO who wants two things? He wants to look innovative and he wants to focus on the bottom line. From that point of view, what we do is we do something that's called an empathy map. You have a face on, a, on a, like a, a slide in front of you. You do this exercise beforehand and you can think of what do they see? Okay, the CEO sees X, Y, Z. What do they hear in the market? They hear one, two, three. Okay, what are they telling people? What are they telling their employees? And then what are they thinking in their mind so once you can think like them and you know exactly what they have in their mind you're going to reshape your pitch to suit their needs to a ceo you want to show them you know what when it comes to pitching to investors it's another element altogether for me Uh, pitching to an investor again you do your due diligence on this investor you understand what type of investor are they are they an angel investor have they ever invested in anybody else before Or are they a seasoned VC who sees, uh, like you said, stage performing founders every single day? So there's an element here where you need to study your target audience right before you go ahead. And I think one thing that I've done and I've noticed is you pitch so much. And every time you ask for feedback, you tweak it just a little bit until you have that perfect pitch, both in content of what you're saying and in presentation and slides.
0: Waleed, how do you go about finding prospect clients, whoever they may be in the organization you're looking to target, whether they're the CTO, CEO, or just an internal referral to begin with?
1: So when Adenda started, we had obviously zero clients and we barely had a product, we had a minimum viable product. And while we were mentored by several companies through FinTech Hive, I think five or six insurance companies were our mentors. Our first client was not one of them. Our first client was Al-Wataniya Takaful, a company that, believe it or not, Kareem contacted my brother, their CEO on LinkedIn. He just sent him, listen, we're two brothers. We did this thing. We really want you to check it out. Can I sit with you just for 15 minutes and you can give me advice? So the age element is very, very crucial here because to the entire insurance ecosystem, uh, which is you know populated mainly by 40 plus year old executives who have been in the same role for so long. So we pitch it to most of our clients at the time as us asking for advice. So there's us giving them all of these questions and coming more as them requesting them to be mentors. And you'd be surprised at how many financial lines or financial tuition senior professionals would be interested in mentoring you from the get-go before anything else. So we signed with them strictly by them teaching us what to do and what not to do. Of course, as you progress, you become less of a, a mentee or whatever the word is, and more of a good salesperson. But that is the entry point for us.
0: Walid you mentioned you and your brother's age. I just want to let the listeners know, for those who don't know you, both you and Kenny have achieved so much before you've even hit 30. You're, you're both still in your 20s, right? It
1: took so long for insurance professionals to take us seriously because of our age. It's a very uh, a reserved industry, and they're used to dealing with tech jobs giants who would charge them an arm and a leg. So then comes these two guys who have this concept or this idea that, again, keep in mind, was kind of not just disruptive, but a huge challenge. We, our idea was to have all these companies agree with each other, reconcile payments with each other on a single platform. So we wanted to build this consortium or network effect. And that was a challenge at first. So I grew a beard and I looked a bit older, but not much. But but from there, it was our experience and constant exposure and how we refer to ourselves in the market that changed. I don't refer to Adenda as this startup led by two brothers anymore. This is Adenda. We're funded by the Arab Bank. We're funded by the Oman Tech Fund. We've got nine clients in the UAE. We've got a POC happening in another GCC country, and we've signed five insurance companies in Kuwait. We've got a huge operation going on. We've spent two years developing this recovery platform. So this is no longer a small thing. Now there's a functional platform where 30 million transactions have happened, 30 million dirhams worth of transactions have happened. I have that under my belt to kind of show off with. So whenever dealing with an industry that will treat you differently, if you're young, work as hard as you can until you have these KPIs or these kind of metrics that you can show off with and go like, you know what? No, listen, I'm young, but look at what I've done.
0: Did you by any chance work with a PR agency to come up with these marketing points so that's that's that's
1: such a funny question because there was someone who works in an aggregator a ceo of an aggregator saw me post something on zawia which they they made a video about us and he's like okay man who's your pr agency because i want in and i said well uh me I do our graphics via PowerPoint, FYI. I do, uh, <laughs> I, I design a lot of the things we do. Everything that we say and the values that we show and the brand of the company is something that Karim and I have kind of crafted on our own. We've read a lot of literature on the topic, but I also keep contrasting and comparing to other startups in other regions from completely different B2B spaces than mine. So I'd look at, for example, a B2B loyalty program. I see how they spent all the money they did doing what they do. And I go like, why did they do that? Or how can I learn? from that and then just kind of replicate emulate and change it to fit your narrative as long as you know that you have a story a specific story that you can stick to that you can spread through social media and once you get to that point you've already done that kind of brand for yourself essentially
0: so waleed you told me that you started talking to prospect clients when you had an mvp what about the point at which you started talking to investors what stage was was addenda at
1: um, so we started talking to investors from almost from the get-go, but investors will only start to take you seriously once you have some traction. The first investor came in, I think, sometime in February 2019, maybe a bit earlier than that, and we had been live for maybe eight, nine months. It's when investors begin to be able to Google you or to be able to hear about you on LinkedIn or hear that you're doing something with someone. So they need something tangible. One of the tangible things could be seeing your product. So if they see that their MVP is there and if it makes sense to them... Or if you show them correspondence that you're about to sign your first client, but preferably after signing the first client, that's when things really picked up for me. So immediately after signing my first client, in a matter of weeks, I managed to, a month actually, I managed to close my round, my my seed stage round. And that's because you can show these investors proof of traction. And I think that's very important for an investor.
0: Waleed, how about we pick on the third category of audience, let's say, that founders eagerly look to reach and that's media because let's face it once a founder gets their startup mentioned in media whether it's paid media or covered media that ultimately helps increase their perception in the market helps them get prospect clients and whatnot
1: so i I think of a few things uh to be honest with you i'll start by the fact that in my case at least paid media was never an option and until way later on in adinda's life it won't be an option i don't want paid media i love posting things organically having them get picked up organically having someone from khalil times approach me and say, listen, we're talking about blockchain in, in the UAE. Can you give me a quote? And that's how it kind of picks up. And then through word of mouth, the media ecosystem, they all know each other and they enjoy talking to you. Be very personal with people from the media, become friends with them very quickly and really be available whenever they need you. But never, ever, ever turn down a media opportunity, never actually turn down an opportunity to meet anybody In the first six months of your startup people who approach you you'll immediately be able to find out okay this person is useful or this person is a waste of both my time and their time but at a certain point you'll find a lot of people that you may have ignored earlier are actually incredibly important for you down the line identify a serious flaw in the industry that you're in and be very upfront about it i think you'll find that a lot of problems with with media in the gcc or in the middle east is the fact that the media is incredibly positive about things regardless of how bad certain things are happening so if you're honest about difficulties that you faced or honest about challenges that you're about to face as a founder if you're honest about these i think people really love and appreciate kind of transparency that you have because they know that that's what their readers will want to read again or their listeners or viewers so i've been in a few interviews with al Arabiya, with cnbc and i think for them, the appeal to them was, A, I was young in an industry full of significantly older people. And also, B, I had a disruptive idea that I was applying and it's gaining traction. Again, in an industry which is traditionally 15 to 20 years behind banking.
0: it for someone who relies so much on physical presence to deliver and to present, how has the world of virtual meetings affected Addenda, if at all, during these past few months in lockdown?
1: Hmm. So Addenda is suited or angled to be a work-from-home solution to start with. The alternative to Addenda is insurance companies couriering documents to each other or faxing them if they're more digitally advanced. What we built was a kind of a workflow management tool between these insurance companies to reconcile all that documentation so that they can pay each other their motor insurance claims. Immediately when we saw COVID, we went into this kind of planning phase, my brother and I and the team, and we're like, guys, we need to capitalize on the fact that now digitization is no longer a luxury. So Adenda is the work-from-home solution for insurance companies. Everything you saw us post after that is Adenda being a work-from-home solution. And that kind of spun it To these CEOs or CXOs of insurance companies where they go like, wait, these guys have approached us several times. We never signed up, but you have these eight, nine companies that have been working business as usual. There's no problem there. We need to get in on this. And that's kind of what ramped up the Addenda experience. We signed up with Oman Insurance recently, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest insurance company in the UAE, mainly because... COVID has really sped up the process of onboarding insurance companies with Adenda.
0: What about investors? Have you been able to gain interest from new investors you had not met previously?
1: While we had not announced it formally in any media outlet, we actually received our biggest investment to date from OTF, the uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund of Oman. It's called the Oman Tech Fund. And um, with them, to be very frank with you, I don't see us needing to raise anytime soon. It's a boost of morale to the team to be able to close a fund or to close you know, around sorry, during such tough times. I think it's going to be pretty difficult for startups in certain industries to raise funding. So anybody in the hospitality industry, travel industry or other similar industries that are affected deeply by COVID uh, would have a hard time raising funds. But what you're going to notice is that the ticket sizes are getting bigger. But the number of startups being funded is getting smaller because VCs want to take a lower risk during COVID uh, with startups that are already revenue generating, that already have clients, traction. So idea stage and POC stage startups might feel the burn during the current times we live in at the moment.
0: Walid, have you had any experience pitching to entities outside the Middle East?
1: So I, I just presented a to a VC that specializes in insure tech in the States one of the coolest experiences here was that the deep domain knowledge that the person I was presenting to had. So half the slides I had, I did not need to use them. I didn't need to explain what motor insurance subrogation is, for example, which is when, you know, recover claims between each other. If your product targets the Middle East or mine specifically targets the GCC, the processes involved and the culture involved in the insurance companies or in your target audience, even in your investors, are going to be very different than the cultures of the person you're pitching to at the moment as a VC in, let's say, the U.S. So you want to be mindful of that. And you want to present that as well, because if there's a issue in communication with them, they might misinterpret things and they also might have assumptions which aren't, which aren't necessarily true. So these are things which relate to, in the Middle East, the average Series A round or the average seed stage round is significantly less in value than that of similar startup in the States. So if the VC in the States is not aware of that, or if the person you're talking to is not aware of that, they might underestimate the total addressable market you have. They might underestimate the value of your company, or why did they raise such a low amount?
0: Waleed, you mentioned a reliance on social media to meet clients and investors. Other than social media, how else do you network? Um,
1: So there's a lot of uh, uh, conferences that take place that are related specifically to your target audience. So for example, I'm involved in a lot of insurance webinars, insurance conferences in person, but now obviously they're online. I mainly also network through uh, word of mouth. So when I pitch to certain clients at the end of the day, whether they're going to go ahead or not, I go like, do you know someone from XYZ company? And you know, nine times out of 10, if the guy liked you, he will go like, listen, right after this meeting, I'm going to give you this guy's phone number, tell him, you know, Jamil sent you. So there's a huge focus on, on word of mouth. And uh, we call it a, a majlis or shy society where the most important decisions aren't made in boardrooms. They're made over coffee with someone that likes your idea, wants to support you and just sees the fire that you have. Here's here's a perfect example of when I told you not to ignore everybody you speak to. As founders, you're often bombarded by uh, LinkedIn messages from recruiters trying to help you recruit talent. Uh, I am against uh, using recruiters. But what happened was I was contacted by a recruiter. He's like, listen, let's just grab a coffee. I want to know about Adenda. And I said, fine, let's sit down. We sit down. And by the time we're done, he's like, this is the phone number of the chief information officer of, you know, XYZ insurance company. And this was the only way we managed to sign that company because that company ignored us all the way up until then. So it's very important to take that into account, the amount of how far you can go by just talking to someone. I find it phenomenal, to be honest with you.
0: You should buy another thank you coffee for that (laughs) recruiter.
1: I think so. I should hire someone through that recruiter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Waleed, that's all the time we have for today's interview. I have had a blast.
1: Well, thank you so much for this. You know, this was a really big pleasure for me, and I'm happy to attend any other podcast you have at any given time.
0: Well, you know what? You can be one of our recurring guests. There you go. (laughs) Have an awesome day.
1: Awesome. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshereen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Shereen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.